Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snudden. And I am a slightly under the weather Rob Olson. The book we're going to be talking about tonight is Snowblind by Christopher Golden. Little bit about the author. He is the award-winning, best-selling author of such novels as The Myth Hunters, The Boys Are Back in Town, The Ferryman, Strange Wood of Saints and Shadows, and The Map of Moments with Tim Levin. His original novels have been published in more than 14 languages and countries around the world. And that last part, in countries around the world, was kind of implied in the 14 languages part, right? Yeah, I would think I would think so. All right. Dude, 21 pages of Amazon credits for this guy. That's uh that's 20 more than me. <laughs> yeah, lots of uh Lots of TV show tie-ins with Buffy the Vampire Slayer and stuff like that. Maybe we'll talk about that a little more later. We're going to talk about tonight, Snowblind. Here is uh, the novella that represents it as a uh, synopsis <laughs> on, on Amazon. In Christopher Golden's first horror novel in more than a decade, a work reminiscent of early Stephen King, Snowblind updates the ghost story for the modern age. The small New England town of Coventry had weathered a thousand blizzards, but never one like this. Icy figures danced in the wind and gazed through children's windows with soul-chilling eyes. People wandered into the whiteout and were never seen again. Families were torn apart and the town would never be the same. Now, as a new storm approaches 12 years later, the folks of Coventry are haunted by the memories of that dreadful blizzard and those who were lost in the snow. Photographer Jake Shapiro mourns his little brother Isaac, even as, tonight, another little boy is missing. Mechanic and part-time thief Doug Manning's life has forever has been forever scarred by the mysterious death of his wife Sherry, and now he's starting over with another woman and more ambitious crimes. Police detective Joe Keenan has never been the same since that night when he failed to save the life of a young boy, and the boy's father vanished in the storm only feet away. And all the way on the other side of the country, Miri Ristani receives a phone call from a man who died 12 years ago. As old ghosts trickle back, this new storm will prove to be even more terrifying than the last. Spellbinding in scope and rooted deeply in classic storytelling, Christopher Golden has written a chilling masterpiece that is the best work of his career and a standout supernatural thriller. With richly textured characters, scarred and haunted by the ghosts of those they love most, Snowblind is rooted deeply in classic storytelling. Christopher Golden has written a chilling masterpiece that is both his breakout book and a standout supernatural thriller. And six pages longer than that synopsis. Yep, about that. All right, so uh, I don't think we need to set anybody up on the story. I think that the the first ten chapters or so were represented pretty fairly there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that, to be fair there's a lot going on in the book so they kind of need i mean they went a little overboard they probably could have just said there was a blizzard uh, a bunch of people died there's a new storm coming and people are acting weird i guess they could have just kind of chilled it you know cut it down to that maybe are you are you trying for a job as a uh, synopsis writer for whoever was the published this book uh I don't know. I would. I wouldn't turn it down. I guess. Maybe. Maybe you should. All right. Maybe I should turn it down. No. No. Maybe you oh. should consider doing that. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. So the first like fifteen percent of this book, though, um, which I thought was a little long for what would be, you know, kind of like a prologue in another book, covers that whole first storm. Um, 
and like I said, it's just a little, kind of a little long for a setup for today's story, I think. But um, we do get a ton of backstory at that point. I kind of knew about it because Livius got the book started before I did. I actually think you finished reading it before I even started it. Yes, yep. Um, so I kind of expected it, but yeah, there was a lot of groundwork laid. I mean that, so 15%, the book is 320 pages, so you're looking at like 45, 50 pages. The book are just the first storm, um, which... To be fair, there are a bunch of characters from the first 15% that do appear later on in the story, uh, significantly so. So it's not as if we're introduced to like a different generation that we don't see anymore. So, I mean, it's all right. But again, yeah, it could have been a little bit, uh, a little bit on the smaller side, I guess. Possibly. If you weren't keeping a track throughout the synopsis, we really kind of follow four groups of people through the course of the story. And uh, thanks to, to Rob's uh, very weirdly detailed notes here, <laughs> um, we'll kind of we'll give you who, who you're looking at. Um, uh, Joe Keenan, who was a cop that, uh, had, you know, at this time was just a patrolman. I think he was a fairly new cop at the time. He was a rookie, and uh, he's called out um, to find some missing uh, kids, and it turns out the kids are, are out. Uh, snowboarding or sledding or something some area anyway he finds them but one of them's dead and he he fails to save the other one as mentioned in the synopsis you've got uh doug and sherry who are a couple um who doug is uh, uh doug's a good guy totally in love with his wife he kind of becomes a, a criminal because of uh, the loss of his wife during snowstorm number one um, you have the uh i don't know a couple this kind of family um where the two parents are dating and they each have their own kids. Uh, that'd be Nico and Allie, um, with Allie's sons, Jack and Isaac, uh, and Miri being Nico's daughter. And then is up at the restaurant people, Ella and TJ, who kind of hook up during that first <laughs> snowstorm. And then, of course, we get to revisit them 12 years later. That's, uh, it's a ton of people. Um, and the way the book is structured they all kind of have not necessarily everybody but like each chapter is kind of separated into sections that follow their individual storylines um so we'll see you know the cops and what they're up to for a while and then like it'll skip over to like what jack's doing or maybe it's back to Allie, or you know maybe it's uh the, the restaurant people so each chapter it's not like these are you know james Patterson two three page chapters these are significant like 15 20 page I mean I think in the 320 page book there was maybe 18 19 chapters so they were they were pretty substantial absolutely I, I totally agree with that they he did a very good job even though he had to bounce around between these four groups of people and in some cases you know the the individuals themselves because with just within that kind of those groups that that i mentioned it's not like those people are always together either they kind of have their own things going on so yeah we jump forward 12 years another storm is coming uh, the town is uneasy around storms since the the weird one and i guess to be fair we should talk a little bit about that first storm so in the first storm we already kind of start to see the the villains in this which are these ghosts that kind of come out of the snowstorm or ride the storm as it's mentioned later in the book and and they are responsible for 18 deaths i think it was during that first snowstorm including people who are missing and never found 
Um, so we're introduced to that pretty early on. And, you know, as a reader, you know, obviously the town is uneasy about snowstorms because all these weird things happened. Um, but as a reader, you know, you can obviously see that coming from, you know, like page 20 that, that you know, we're going to we're going to re uh, re meet these ghostly figures. Yeah, to me, this setup was. I don't want to use the word typical, but it was like your basic. um it was it's set up like a horror story you know you would imagine it would be set up so there's this big storm coming which means that um the things that we're used to in life like uh having power and being able to drive down a road and and things like that are are things that are we're threatened to to lose um we're losing you know contact with the outside world and all this stuff so already the elements are against us and and so uh, the town ends up kind of everybody's shut into their own house to just weather the storm, um, but that's not enough because these um, kind of ice ghosts type things uh, just appear, and it almost seems like they kind of lure people out, and then they just kind of take them, and either you they ne- they're never seen again or they they die, kind of gruesome deaths. So it's a it's a pretty classic horror setup. Um, which I think even the synopsis or at the beginning of the synopsis, it's like classic Stephen King. So it's kind of got this like old school horror feel to it. Uh, the setup with these, these ghosty guys, um, which I think, I think worked pretty well. I like the ghosts. I actually found them to be fairly frightening. Did you picture, um, I was picturing dude from Nightmare Before Christmas, really thin guy, but like all blue and icy. That's, that's kind of interesting. I was p- more picturing um oh god, I said like a like a more hardcore version of the ghosts from the Casper movie. <laughs> the Casper movie I never yeah, watched. Yeah, well, you you should google the ghosts from Casper. They kind of like that, but like with teeth and maybe a little skinnier. So, but I, I did find right. them um, kind of scary, and I, I really didn't expect to. Um, but every time they appeared, I get a little bit of a chill. Um, and, and yes, you're right. They lure people out, and, and there's a reason for that, is that they can't just gain entry to anywhere they want like ghosts can. Um, they have to have a way in with the cold. So basically, if you had a house that's insulated really properly, and you know you don't have a window open, you're pretty safe. Everybody else, they're totally screwed. So I think that was part of them kind of luring people out was their homes they just couldn't get into. So in, in yeah. order to, to to take their victims, um, you know, they had to get people to open doors. And stuff. No carpenters are being taken. That from is correct. No, no, no ComEd energy efficient um, certified home is going to be invaded. <laughs> that's what this was. This was a this was a ComEd. Uh, a combat how-to book on, you know, making sure you stay safe. <laughs> Very nice. So, yeah, so we go on and, uh, I mean, I guess we should, we, we, we kind of, in order to talk about this book, we're going to have to spoil some things, right? I guess. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. All right, so it's kind of loosely mentioned or in the synopsis about Jake you know, losing his little brother when they were, you know, 10, 12, however old they were. Um, and then there's this other boy that's gone missing. Well, well, here's what happens. Somewhere along the line, 
a portion of these 18 dead people, their spirits have managed to come back and inhabit bodies of people who are alive. So Jake, who's mentioned in the synopsis, this boy goes missing, there's a car accident, the police figure out that these people have a son and that the son was with them, but the son is missing, so the police are investigating, you know, where's the boy, was he kidnapped, is he dead in the river? Well, the kid turns up at Jake's house and announces himself to be Jake's brother, but in this other body. And this happens to several people throughout the town. Which really makes the book more interesting than I expected it to be, because with the initial setup, you have this storm where a bunch of creepy fucking ghosts show up and and start killing people, and then there's another storm coming that's going to you know be equal to or worse than the one before, and you're thinking, oh, damn, these ghosts are coming back, and they're going to just wreak some more havoc, and it's just going to be bloodshed. Um, which would be totally scary enough. Uh, but he throws in this element of the actual, like... I mean, there's there's kind of two layers of ghosts. There's these ghosts who um, are people who are coming back, uh, who, who are still kind of significant too like the people who are alive who lost these loved ones um and then there's the layer of the creepy ghost ice people so it's a it's an additional layer and the way everything is revealed is is really what kind of gives me the the chills a lot in the book um is figuring out really what's going on with all these different types of ghosts and stuff yeah um (laughs) I don't know that it was. I don't know that it was bad or good. It kind of, for that part, for me, kind of just was. Um, I had some issues with it, and, and I'll just go ahead and talk about a couple of the issues right now. All, all these people. So this is a storm, and maybe these ghosts only exist in Coventry. I don't know. We never quite got an explanation. But but it almost seems like, you know, they, they it said before that, you know, they kind of ride on the storm. So I'd imagine these storms have to be in other places at times, too, right? So I understand that these people wanted to escape, yeah. and that's what they did. These ghosts were able to somehow escape by taking other bodies and get away from, from the, the, the ghost monsters. Um, but it just, they just happened to do it, like, in their own town. You know, I mean, no one else escaped with them that, like, wasn't from that town. They didn't bother to escape in, in, like, upstate New York or in Chicago during one of our blizzards. It was all right in Coventry. And then there's a whole third type of ghost. There's Nico. Nico, by definition, I guess, in the book, is basically your real standard ghost. He hasn't taken a body, and he's not one of these ice creatures. He's just like the guy who shimmers. Like, you look over and you think you see him, and then you look back and he's gone. But, but of course, he yep. can talk. And he's the tool that's used to explain to us why these people, how they were able to return, why they returned. And he's kind of the, the guy who sounds the alarm that the ghost monsters are going to come back and try to reclaim their, you know, their possessions, these other ghosts. I kind of had a little bit of a problem with that, too. That he was like this third type that basically his whole job was to tell us what was happening. He was he was a little bit of exposition. Um, here's the issue I had, and I wasn't going to really bring it up, but since we're airing grievances, I figured I might as well just throw this out there. The way that... Alright, so the idea of the book is, in a significant storm like this, this is what allows these things to enter our world or become, you know powerful enough to influence our world or whatever it happens to be. I don't want to say anything too specific. 
evidently there's only been two storms in this, you know, two storms, you know, strong enough in the history of, you know, this country, or at least this part of the country, to, to make this happen, um, which seems a little bit weird. Uh, you know, there's probably been blizzards more than, you know, 12 years ago and now, but um, there's no lore or history or, you know, urban legend about this ever happening any other time or, you know, even like anything else mentioned um, that's like a creepy, you know, allegory to what, you know, is happening now or anything like that. So that was what got me a little bit was just like, um, these bitches showed up 12 years ago, killed a bunch of people, and oh no, there's another storm, and, and now this shit's going to hit the fan. Yeah, and the, the other, okay, so <laughs> while, we're, while we're tearing apart the ghost <laughs> thing. Yeah, and, and the only like explanation is, is that they're back to reclaim the, the ghost that escaped. Yeah. Like, like, they were here, they got what they wanted, and they were never ever going to come back, but... You know, that's kind of the feeling I got. Like, they're only back to, to recapture, you know, Sherry and Isaac and, and some of the other people whose, you know, names you know, from a certain point really important enough to mention. But I don't know. That's kind of where I'm at with that. Was I was a little hokey. As much as I love the ghost monsters and what they did, and I actually thought they were really goddamn creepy, uh, a little bit of the later story kind of fell out for me. All right. Well, let's be honest. The ghosts... And and I feel like this way in, in about like most books that I enjoy, um, the weird element is there really just to drive the story, and I mean the book more or less is about relationships when you come down to it because when you look at the overall idea, it's about loss and family and love and those types of things, and the time that he spends developing the individual characters in relation to either the people they lost or the people that they still have or bridging the gap between the two. I mean, that's really the strength of the book. Oh, no, I, I agree with you. And I think his, his character development, um, if, you know, cheesy in parts, was still was still pretty good. I mean, I think you got a really good grasp of what these characters were going through. And I think, like you said, from a relationship standpoint, that in the 12 years in between... I like where he took the characters. For example, um, Ella and TJ, the, the restaurant owner and the, the musician for the restaurant, they first hook up the night of the first blizzard. Okay, the, the loss there is that TJ's mother dies, and TJ kind of blames himself because he was going to go stay with her through the storm, but then he saw a chance to hook up with his boss and called his mom and was like, listen, I'm going to get some, so I'm not, uh, I'm not coming by tonight, and his mother winds up dying. But, you know, we, we fast forward 12 years and they're married and they have a daughter, but they have like a terrible relationship. Like they're kind of on the verge of divorce. So it, it, it felt a lot more realistic than them being this kind of lovey-dovey couple that, you know, in the 12 intermediate years, you know, some bad shit. Had, and not even bad shit. It's like they just kind of grew distant. You know, there wasn't a lot of finger pointing yeah. at what happened. So, I mean, yeah, from a relationship standpoint, I think he handled it all pretty well. Yeah, that's the strong part. I mean, I think he he made the ghost story because it's it's creepy and like you know it's kind of a horror flick or horror flick. God, what's wrong with me? Horror story and everything, but like yeah, I mean the strength was in like the characters themselves, which you know I, I think probably is the good choice. All right, anything else story related you want to cover? I don't know. Can you think of anything else to talk about with story? Not really. 
You don't sound like you really like this book. I didn't really like this book. <laughs> How about we talk about the dream sequence in the book? Let's talk about oh. that. That's always fun. <laughs> oh man, you can't you can't let a book go by that has a dream sequence without talking about it. Motherfucker, I don't understand the goddamn point of it. I just don't get it. It, it almost never furthers the story. All right, hit me with the dream sequence. All right, so there's a dream sequence, and it's uh, it takes place 39% uh, of the way into the book, um, and it's it's between the I don't even know it's between Jake and his brother, and it kind of takes them back to when they were young, and and again just has no point in the book, none none whatsoever. And it's like a page and a half long, so it's not like he dropped it in there to add length. So I don't know. Dream sequences, man. Writers, stop doing dream sequences unless dreams are an important part of your story. I ever say this before? Dream sequences are great, like Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, like the dream warriors and shit. Yeah, exactly. Well, because you know what? Without that, you got nothing. You got a bunch of kids sleeping. <laughs> dream sequence. Yeah, I'm going to agree. Like, now, the more I think about it, I've always just kind of been amused by your like hatred, your mm-hmm. bitter hatred of dream sequences. But, like,. It is kind of a crutch, and it's and it's never really necessary. So I'm going to give you that. I'm going to I'm going to back you up on this one, Livius. Thanks, buddy. Uh, want to do some quotes? Sure. Um, <laughs> you want to well, go first? Before we do quotes, I I want to say that I didn't I don't have any quotes. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking the same thing, and my quotes aren't um, aren't flattering. Um, here's what I've got for quotes. Uh, I have a couple places marked. I just people had a lot of trouble breathing in this, and not because they were being strangled, just because they had trouble breathing. And it was it was bothering me a little bit because let me back up a little bit. I first read Christopher Golden's stuff in the late '80s with the Peter Octavian series. I probably read three or four of them, and I really really liked them. I guess I didn't know that he continued to do a few more after that, or I would have stayed with a great vampire series great stuff would it hold up now if i read it i have no idea but i was like here, here's an example in the flicker and gutter of the candlelight he looked so handsome that her heart swelled and she could barely breathe i gotta tell you i've seen lots of beautiful people in my life and not once have i had a shortness of breath and i smoke like a pack and a half of cigarettes a day if anybody is susceptible to that <laughs> it's me so. <laughs> Yeah, all right. Lots of lots of breathing issues and and, and that kind of stuff. Um, uh, I'm trying to figure out why I highlighted this. Shaking, Jake moved aside. The hurt in the boy's brilliant blue eyes should have stung Jake's heart. Instead, it stoked his fear. See, like that's just terrible. I didn't like that. <laughs> I think I just had higher expectations. I do actually have a a, a note in here that um, that there was something really scary, but I can't figure out what it was right now. I'll say this. The reason that I don't have quotes is because nothing really ever jumped out at me that was like, hey, that was a really remarkable use of words, or hey, that really scared me, or anything like that. So um, I know that sounds bad, but I just there was just wasn't really anything that stood out is like oh man this guy's like the snow ghost writing captain of the world or anything <laughs> you know what i'm saying you agree no i i know what you're saying and in in some ways i don't 
There are a lot of books we've reviewed that I really liked that I felt like I needed quotes because we were doing this this podcast, and I, I didn't necessarily feel as strongly about the quotes as I did with other times. And I think the difference is that you just you have great writers who who you know word for word are just really really good, um, and then you have great storytellers, and yeah. the two aren't always the same. When the two merge, you have brilliance. But you can have a really good story with with you know fifth grade level seventh grade level writing where the story's still really good and i think that's probably probably where christopher golden's um ticket is is in the storytelling um overall structurally i don't think there was a whole lot wrong with this story just some of the elements he chose to to incorporate just bugged me a little bit i guess uh all right well if you don't have any other quotes to attack i think that's a nice lead into wrap-ups it is. Would you like for me to go first? I think you should. All right. I got excited that we were going to read a Christopher Golden book, my first one in probably you know twelve years or so. Um, and I remember really, really liking the Peter Octavian series. Here we have a horror book, a, a very traditional horror story um, with ghosts and snow. And Chicago's been snowed in for months now, so I thought it was kind of timely for us to do it. And um, Man, he created this great these great creatures, and I thought this is really good. My problem was with how he kind of supplemented them with these, you know, returners that have taken over bodies, and even that I was okay with. You know, like I was I was kind of I was kind of taking it for what it was, and then Nico showed up, the ghost narrator, the ghost whisperer that was going to tell us why all of this is going on, and and at that point the whole kind of ghost thing lost me a little bit. Um, I'll additionally say that I wasn't really, I don't know, terribly satisfied with, with the ending and, and how, of course, as you can imagine, the whole town isn't slaughtered by ghosts that somehow the ghosts are thwarted, which is frequently what happens in, in a horror novel. Um, <laughs> and I didn't really feel satisfied by that either. I wanted to like this book. Um, I was very excited about another Christopher Golden book, and it just it kind of let me down. Um, that being said... It's still better than a lot of stuff out there. So uh, I'm going to give this one three stars. Ooh, three stars from Livius. Um, I knew Livius was excited to read a book by this gentleman, Christopher Golden, and I had never, I didn't know that I had read stuff from him before. And we'll get back to that in just a minute. But um, apparently I had, but it wasn't necessarily fiction stuff. Uh, so I dove into the book, and I knew that I was going to be getting a bunch of backstory. So I was kind of like very forgiving and very like open in the beginning of reading it. Um, what I will say is, um, there's a giant list of characters, and um, with a good book, either there's enough uh, interesting things about these characters for you to quickly understand their separate timelines. Or you care enough to really focus on it and learn their separate timelines. With this book, I found even more than halfway through the book that I'd have to, when when a new section of a of an individual chapter started, I'd have to be like, wait, who are these people? And like try and think of it. And then like eventually, I'd get a, a hint from what was going on. Oh yeah, it's this person. I remember now what was going on. So that's not a good sign. Um, to be honest, the 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 whole idea of of creepy snowmen basically. Attacking a town in a in a blizzard seems a little goofy and stupid, um, but he made it creepy and scary enough that I I liked it. Um, the 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 
ghosts that came back uh, and possessed people and stuff was interesting enough because, again, it played into like what I thought the strength of the book was, which is um, the development of characters and the you know looking at love and loss and all those things. So um, I was happy enough with that too. Uh, overall, though, I mean, the book was just okay. Um, it genuinely creeped me out in a few different you know points in the book. It was scary enough to be considered a horror book, and definitely scarier than a lot of stuff that we've read. Um, but overall, it was pretty. I'd say pretty, pretty average. I'm not super disappointed about anything. I'm not like super excited about too much either. If if you gave me the synopsis for that book, The Returned, that we read, and then I read this book, I think I'd be way more uh, excited about it than if you gave me uh, the other way around. Um, uh, <laughs> because essentially, like The Returned, you remember Livius, the whole. Um, People coming back from the dead like oh, 40 years rem- later. Or I remember. Yeah. So that book sucked because it just sucked. But um, so like if I had had that kind of simple explanation and this, you know, was what came of it, you know, I, I would I would feel much better about that book. But that's not the book we were reading and that's not the synopsis we were given. So overall, I think I'm pretty much oblivious on this one. There was enough I liked about it, but it wasn't really anything... Um, there was nothing really stand out and, and the stuff that he did well he just did the job of being a writer so I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with three stars on this I liked it I will be thinking about those those snow ghost things I think <laughs> alright snow ghosts I I <laughs> I was thinking about, all right, going back to this story a little bit, I was thinking about how, like, they can pretty much, it was explained, they can pretty much get in anywhere that there's, like, a crack or an opening or something. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dude, that's every building in the world. Yeah. Yeah, see, that's true, too. Throw me in a submarine, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, Christopher Golden. I wanted so much to love this book. Turns out, um, me being a Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan, I did read the uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, The Watcher's Guide, which was released in, I think, 1998. And it was a reader's companion to the TV show Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I thought was quite well put together. I've uh, I've seen things like that, and, and being a, a Doctor Who fan, and I talk about there being you know stuff written about a TV show. Um, I just don't know that I, I don't know that I'd ever get into anything like that. Maybe I'll have to give it a try one day. I don't know. Just like, Buff, like you read the Buffy thing or no, no, no. Well, no, because I, I, I watched like the first season of Buffy and then that was it for me. I actually wow. liked the, the original movie more than I liked the TV show. Pee Wee Herman has that great death scene. You know what I'm talking about? You've seen the movie, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's I like you're going to say how good Donald Sutherland was, and and Donald Sutherland, because he's Donald Sutherland, the uh, guy from Nine Hundred Two One Zero, isn't it? Right. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, it, yeah, the guy who played uh, Dylan McKay. Is it Jason? Was it Priestley? No, it's the other one. I can't think of his yeah. name. Cause I'm terrible Whatever. with names. But uh, <laughs> see, so we'd both read things previously from from this cat. There we and, go. And those things were better though. Than what we read, so to be honest, after after realizing that it was the uh, 
the vamp, the the Watcher's Guide for Buffy mm-hmm. the Vampire Slayer. Not super surprised that he wrote about some, uh, you know, deadly snowmen. Deadly snowmen. <laughs> All right. What what else do we have? Oh, we have some we have some news. I'm gonna I'm I'm taking this one because I'm sick, so okay. I'm ta- I'm being selfish with this one. No, go ahead. Um, we are officially, and this isn't us just talking out of our asses. This is actually officially. It's been announced. Award winning again. Indeed, we are. So I was gonna preface this as a like a correction notice <laughs> from our previous episode where we predicted we were going to win everything. Um, the book anthology is an award winning anthology. How fucking cool is that? Dude, you know that means that the two things that we ever tried at in life have both won awards. <laughs> Dude, you are absolutely correct. <laughs> I'm telling you, now i got to give someone a tattoo so I can land that that uh, that elusive, that other elusive tattoo, yeah. award that, that we didn't get this year. So um, congratulations, right. and, and congratulations to Pela Villa for being an editor of the year as far as we're concerned. She did edit <laughs> the book anthology, right? So She did. So that's uh, as much her award as it is ours. Maybe even more hers. I don't know. Yeah. Now, what that does mean is that we did not somehow, and um, Livius's demand for a recount is on the record, uh, we somehow did not win the Podcast of the Year award. However, we were runner-up. Who beat us, Livius? Last year's runner-up, actually, Lauren Santoro and Tales to Terrify, um, this year's winner. I'll tell you what, I know where he lives now. I probably could walk to his house in about five minutes from my apartment. Yeah, speaking of which, what happens if some terrible fate befalls the winner? Does the runner-up get to get to carry the crown for the rest of the year? I'm just out of curiosity. Asking for a friend? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I'm concerned. I'm concerned that whoever the runner-up is, whichever Ellen Datlow book was the runner-up to us, I, I mean, I want oh, to know if yeah. they will take over should something terrible happen. I mean, look at the lengths we've gone through to protect this award. We won't even travel by airplane together anymore just to make sure one of us is still around. That's right. That's right. That's, yeah. that's true. So, at any rate, I'd um, like to know if some terrible fate befalls the winner, does the runner-up then get the crown? Michael Wilson, we're talking to you, buddy. We need we need what? clarification on this. Now, you were saying he lives just a few minutes' walk from your house? <laughs> he does, and I think he, 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 he said he wanted to have a beer. Oh, we should totally have a beer with him. Yeah. Yeah. On an entirely unrelated note, um, I, uh, I bought a, a, some poison recently. <laughs> yeah. These are only some of the ideas that go that go through on like the like the booked conference calls where me and Rob talk about things. The other one was, well, you know where he lives. Just go take the award. We'll just scratch out tales yeah. to terrify. And really, who has the award, right? Like possessions, nine tenths of the law, whatever that means. I think if it's up on your wall with our name on it. I mean, if we're gonna go to that level, why don't we just like fake an award? Like we we're gonna get the podcast. I mean, I'm sorry, we're gonna get the the anthology one, mm-hmm. and we have the podcast one from the previous year. Can't we just kind of fabricate? <laughs> there could be some pissed off you know, people in a week or two when this shows up online, or claiming that uh, that we won. So, at any rate, thanks to those of you who voted um, for us for anthology of the year. For those of you that didn't vote, as I said before, you're all dead to me. That's right, and like the three people that would have taken for to have us beat Nails to Terrify, mm-hmm. you are so completely dead to me. Yep, 
So there you go. Hey, anyway, congratulations. That's uh, awards two years in a row. I, I feel so award winning. I do too. It's people I was talking to people. <laughs> it, here's the thing, and, and I guess the smart people know this. The, the day that the awards were announced, there was already like um, acceptance speeches posted on the Tales Terrify site. You're like, <laughs> why aren't you more excited? And I'm like, because I knew about this two weeks ago and I was really excited that, <laughs> like, you know, it, but you know what I mean. It's like you've been living with a couple of people, like, oh, congratulations. You're like, thanks. They're like, you're not that excited. No, really. I was really excited two weeks ago when I found out. So. Yeah. That's the, yeah, we try to do the movie magic of making it seem like, you know, this is like breaking news to us, mm-hmm. but yeah, we knew about this like a month ago. Yeah, and yeah. That, and that's the whole thing. It's, it's it, and Rob and I are both like this, I think, that, you know, once we've completed something, we're like done. We're ready to move on to the next thing. So we won the award. Yeah. We're already looking <laughs> at next year's awards. We're excited that's about right. that. We're plotting assassinations. We're uh, stuffing, pre-stuffing ballot boxes. Dude, I'm t- well, you know what it's what it is when you run uncontested, isn't that what it's called when there's no one else running? Yeah. By next year, everyone should be so afraid no one else will be nominated. That's right. Um, like but, that scene in Swordfish, where he's where John Travolta. Did you see the movie Swordfish? I many years ago. Oh man, he's explaining like how they're gonna make terror terrorism, like the idea of terrorism against the United States, so. Um, frightening that no one would want to do it because, like, the retribution would be so, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. intense. Absolutely. I think that's kind of where we're at, yeah. yeah. I have no problem. I'm going to go watch that movie again. I might be able to pick up some interesting tips. That's right. So. But thank you, to uh, again, to This Is Horror for just having the awards. Um, and thank you f- to those of you who nominated um, and or voted for the booked anthology. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you. That's not the only news we have. Oh, oh, there's more news? It's so hard filling all this space by ourselves anymore, isn't it? Yeah. Well, luckily, I did. I took my own uh, advice from a previous episode, and I reached out to Skip Papersley, and I said, hey, how about some booked news? And guess what? We have a booked news. This is excellent news. The news that we have booked news. We'll find out how excellent the news itself is. This is Book News. I'm Skip Papersley. Now for the news. There are several services open for people to borrow books for a low monthly fee. Scribd and Oyster are two options at $8.99 and $9.95 respectively. They allow people to download a limited number of books for offline reading and swap them out. Free versions of these applications include Friends, Gutenberg.org, The Motherfucking Library, and Piracy. In other news, the recent death of popular actor Philip Seymour Hoffman has led to an explosion of PSH erotic fiction on Kindle Worlds. There are five different Capote works, some including Sexual Encounters with the Criminals, Audrey Hepburn, and sometimes even the corpses themselves. Also on the list is Philip Seymour Butts, a charming work in which Hoffman teams up with animated rapscallion Bart Simpson to seduce many of Springfield's famous citizens and play a few pranks on Mo. Finally, the New York Times bestsellers in fiction recap. John Grisham hits Skid Row at number five with Sycamore Row. Office author B.J. Novak is fourth with One More Thing. Stagnant at third is Anna Quinlan with Still Life with Breadcrumbs. Sue Monk Kid invents a second place victory with The Invention of Wings. And finally, Donna Tart isn't sour for her number one place with The Goldfinch. This has been Book News. I'm Skip Papersley, signing off.
You know, it wasn't even like three episodes ago, I think, where we were talking about how we hadn't heard anything about Amazon Worlds, you know, mm-hmm. since we first started talking about it, right? Yep. And now all of a sudden, here comes Skip Papersley talking about Amazon Worlds, and guess what? There's other stuff, too. Uh, recently, uh, I think just a day or two ago, um, Seth Harwood posted on Facebook that he has a... Uh, a, a a story, a short story, or a novella, I'm not sure exactly which, coming out on Amazon Worlds as well. It's Vonnegut fan fiction. Um, I don't remember the exact name of the piece, but I know it It, it comes out on uh, February 18th, so probably the day of, or maybe right after, uh, this, this episode's going to drop. Um, it'll be available. You may have to be our, uh, our expert on that. As I read a little bit of Vonnegut, but I wouldn't know if something tied into it well or not. Um, well, I know he's tying it in with characters from some of the more like well-known timelines, mm-hmm. like uh, characters from Slaughterhouse Five and uh, and stuff like that. So, interesting, um, very interesting, very yeah, interesting yeah. to see how that goes for Seth, just in general from an Amazon World standpoint. You know, yeah. Um, oh, you know what? And I brought it up. It's uh, as much protein as an egg is the name of it. Uh, from the world of Kurt Vonnegut. Um, and I even have a little synopsis I can read. Oh, is it shorter than the one for Snowblind? Uh, almost. Okay. Here we go. Artemis Kellogg struggles to write his first screenplay, find love in San Francisco, and maintain his coffee consumption. Bainbridge McGee aspires to play golf, write his fourth great American novel, and dabble in the online dating scene. Each man is indebted to and inspired by Vonnegut a passion that plays out as McGee works on his masterpiece and Kellogg finds writing in is his true religion. When they both land on a select committee tasked with choosing the winner of a prestigious sci-fi and fantasy writer award, uh, the choice is clear to them and both become determined to ensure Vonnegut is honored with the award. It turns spellbinding, suspensable, and full of love. This story comes down to the finish to reveal this on science fiction's grandest stage, Vonnegut will be remembered with the appropriate reverence the master deserves. Hmm. Interesting. Sounds very interesting. Sounds better than Bigfoot porn. Um, big, well, I don't know, man. You talk a lot about this Bigfoot porn. I think you might be... Uh, sending. Some, did you want to review some Bigfoot porn? You know, I didn't until you said that. And then I thought... <laughs> That doesn't sound like a bad idea at all. Um, no, no, no. I don't. I don't want to review any Bigfoot porn. Um, uh, I, I don't even know where to go from that, other than I don't want to review Bigfoot porn. But we will he said keep, no like four times, yeah. so I believe you. Yeah, um, we will keep an eye out on the monster erotica section of Amazon for something maybe really stand out. But uh, no, no, I get all my all my weird porn from Craig Walwork. Oh, Craig Walwork, that guy. He's got some stuff coming, uh, coming, has recently come out, right? No, it comes out in April. April. Oh. April. Craig Walwork's Gory Hole. The name alone. Mm-hmm. Multiple short stories, including including Revenge of the Zombie Pussy Eaters. Yeah, I think it's a collection of three novellas, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and uh, one of them being uh, uh, the story that kind of... Uh, introduced us, or we used to introduce uh, our listeners to Craig Wallwork uh, a while ago, dude, a long time ago. I think it was that episode was in the 40s. We're almost at 200 now. 
Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was Halloween of our first year of doing this. It's insane. We were six months in at that point. They didn't even have like, I don't even think electricity existed back then. This is pre-skip papers, Lee. That's so long ago. I know. So definitely something I'm looking forward to. But yeah, I'll, I'll keep taking all my weird monster porn from that guy. Thank you very much. <laughs> definitely. Did you see the cover for that? It's kind of gory. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> well, I got one would hope, right? Um, yeah, I was looking at it on um, Goodreads. Goodreads has a nice little cover of it. Yeah, it's it's short, 48 pages, but very, very much... Um, Looking forward to it. And Craig Walkwork gave it five stars um, right on Goodreads there. So you know it's got to be good. <laughs> I saw that. And part of his comment was, I stand by my rating. That's right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, because it says review from the author, whatever you do that. So, I mean, why have, have we have we reviewed? We haven't reviewed the book anthology on here, have we? Um, I haven't. Did you? I, I, I didn't no, think that we should. No. It was like an integrity thing. No, no, no. But, yeah, yeah who cares? Maybe we should. But anyway, yes, Craig Walwork. It is on my... I've decided I'm going to use Goodreads more. Um, and I, I just mentioned this because I noticed Gory Hole is marked as want to read. Um, I've decided I'm going to use it more because I set myself one of those uh, those Goodreads goals to, to read 52 books this year. Ooh, wow. Mm-hmm. I didn't know you made that goal. I did see you rate like four books today, so I, I can stand by the veracity of Olivia's statement that he wants to use Goodreads more because I don't think I've seen one of those from you in like... The whole time we've been on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I stopped after about 15 episodes or so. But no, I decided they have this thing where you can set a goal for the year, and then they base it marked on when you say you finish the book. So you can still rate, like, older books if you want, but it doesn't count towards your goal unless you put in a finish date that's in 2014. Oh, interesting. And yeah, today I had a little bit of time, so I went through, um, you know, because I've, uh, I've got a couple that aren't from the podcast, so I... Wanted to get those in there. It's nice because I know when I finish books because it's like four days before we record the show. So I could even, you know, backdate my pretty accurately. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. I do that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I am reading, though? Can I just tell you this because I'm super excited about this? Yeah. It's going to be one of those one of those long, uh, like the, the dream sequence. I need the music traveling, you know, to, to take us back in time. When I was 11 or so... I was wandering down the alley in my neighborhood, and it happened. <laughs> no, this isn't that story. This one's this one's camera. Hey, kid, you want some candy? <laughs> I stumbled across, across a garage sale, and they had some books. And at that point, I was an avid reader, but I was an avid reader of books for, you know, like fourth graders. You know, the, the, the stuff you got at the school library and whatnot. And I was looking through this box of books, and I found three books. Um, that were these guys with like guns on the cover and you know it looked very actiony and I decided that I would buy these for I don't know like 10 cents each or whatever it was at the time and that took me on a journey where I read this series that was originally penned by Don Pendleton it was eventually bought by Gold Eagle Books which is a subdivision of Harlequin um, that does like all their men's adventure stuff and I went on to read probably about a hundred of these through my teen years and at some point, I kind of fell off and, and didn't read any more. But the thing was, Mac Bolan, the Executioner series, was probably, when I started reading it, around number 60, 65, 70. Um, back then, there was no eBay. There was no Amazon. You couldn't just go and buy back books. You either stumbled across them in a bookstore. I mean, this isn't the kind of thing the library kept. These were monthly releases. Um, 
But I got it in my head recently that um, I kind of wanted to revisit that. So now I get to read a book. I'm in the middle of reading a book that I've wanted to read for almost 30 years. So I'm reading That's number intense, one. Man. Yeah, I'm reading number one of the Executioner series. Um, and you know what? God damn it, it was written in 1969, and it's still pretty fucking good today. Wow. The yeah. book's almost as old as you. It's older than I am, actually, you prick. <laughs> <laughs> But that's that's what I'm reading now. In between the books for the podcast is uh, is the executioner. But yeah, I just I realized this. I wanted to read this book for almost thirty years, and I'm I, I'm reading it right now, which is so cool. Welcome to the future. Yeah, dude, that's the whole thing, man. Back then, I really I was thinking about this. Like, how did you even track down a book if the bookstore or the library didn't have it? Like, you didn't, you couldn't. You know, I guess you'd call around, you use bookstores and inquire. I mean, yeah, but. They're just, even then, you'd have to find their phone numbers in the yellow pages. It's crazy. We have it so easy now. We really do. All right. Um, this definitely, I don't, I don't have, <laughs> I don't have a childhood uh, walking down an alley story to tie in with this book, but that, that <laughs> your story reminded me of uh, a book that I've been thinking I'd like to read. Um, that uh, just because of the podcast and for various reasons, I've never really had a chance to. And it is a book called The Hunter by Richard Stark. You heard of it? Uh, I've heard of Richard Stark. I've not heard specifically of that book. Uh, The reason that it came onto my radar is kind of dumb, but there's a... Not dumb necessarily, but just not... Not in the in the uh, in the spirit of being a, a passionate book reader. I didn't find it in some cool book week, booky way. Um, it's because I really like, uh, and this is a, a you know a guilty admission in of itself. The uh, the movie with Mel Gibson that came out in like 1999 called uh, Payback. That movie is based on a book called The Hunter by uh, Richard Stark, which is actually uh, Richard Stark is a pseudonym of Donald Westlake. Um, who wrote, like, apparently just every book that's ever been written. Like, the dude's written a ton of books, and um, part of it was his uh, his Parker series. Um, and, and The Hunter was, I think, the first, the first of the series. So I wanted to check out the book that inspired this movie that I thought actually was a pretty damn good movie. You said Richard Stark, and the first thing that came to mind was Stephen King's The Dark Half? Because I think that was the name of the author in that. Oh, okay. Which was I don't know. I don't read. Yeah, King. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Something like that. Oh, you know what? Never mind. I don't know why that stuck. All right. According to newsfeed.time.com, uh, he had a Richard Stark book on his desk. I wonder why that stuck out in my head like that. That I actually thought about Stephen King. At any rate, man, we just threw a lot of books at people. We really did. Um, we should probably just kind of sum it up because yep. there's a ton of stuff. We just a ton of information we just gave out. All right. So uh, first, first off, Seth Harwood, a Vonnegut fanfic. Uh, you do you have the name handy? Seth Harwood's uh, as much protein as an egg drops uh, the 18th, which is I think this episode's going up on the 17th. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, just dropping the day after this episode airs. Dollar ninety nine from Amazon's uh, Amazon Worlds. Uh, Kindle fan fiction thing. Very cool. We talked about Craig Wallworks, Gory Hull, coming out in April. But you know what's interesting? I wonder Sorry. which Shakespeare story Gory Hull came from. I'm not a Shakespeare aficionado by any stretch of the word, but you know, some of his <laughs> book titles, like they're from Shakespeare <laughs> stories, right? 
That's, uh, yeah, Quint- Quintessence of Dust, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and To Die Upon a Kiss, I believe, as well. That's right, Dubai Upon a Kiss, That's remember right. our Bollywood mm-hmm. uh, adaptation yep. of... So I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to do some uh, some googling and some research and find out which uh, which story Gory Hole is in. <laughs> oh man! All right. Well, uh, Don Pendleton, the executioner. I mean, Pendleton's been dead since like '95, but still, definitely worth. Uh, there's like 400 books in that series. That's not an exaggeration. That's right. And Donald E. Westlake as Richard Stark writing the Hunter. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody wants to check out uh, Payback. It's got Lucy Liu as a dominatrix. If that's not, you know, if there's, you didn't get reason enough already. Okay. And of all those books we just talked about, you know which one we're reviewing next week? None, None of them. them. That's right. Um, we did, um, because we're sometimes we're really cheap and got to take them where we can get them, um, did decide to, <laughs> to review something that is uh, that Eraser had featured during their Valentine's Day Kindle sale, which runs through... The 20th, which is just a few days from now, February 20th. That's right. We decided to, uh, and we had re- recently had Rose O'Keefe on the, on the podcast to talk about uh, some non-flack that they were receiving over a Carlton Malick book. <laughs> um, and she mentioned that Time Pimp by uh, Garrett Cook was something that she highly recommended that was coming out soon. Well, it's out, and we both managed to uh, acquire it for quite the deal. Yeah, we each spent a whopping dollar. You spent a dollar? I spent 99 cents. Oh, oh, goddammit. You must have driven the supply and demand price up. Maybe mine was 99 cents, too. (laughs) But that did run the book to coffers quite dry. Yeah, that really tapped us out. Yeah, yeah, um, I actually, from the Valentine's Day sale that uh, Eraserhead Press has got going on, I picked up... Carlton Malick III's Fantastic Orgy, mostly for the name of the book. Uh, Cameron Pierce's Die, You Donut Bastards, which has been mentioned several times on the podcast. And uh, our next review, Time Pimp, by Garrett Cook. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how this kind of Doctor Who satire plays out, having a having a Who fan on the show. There um, is a Whovian there in is. the midst. There is. So uh, we did meet Garrett Cook. When we were in Boston, you remember meeting Garrett, right? Yeah, he was at the uh, Perfect Edge and yeah. uh, Manarchy reading. Yep, in, didn't in have Boston. to shake him down for money or anything. We, <laughs> I demanded no pizza money from him. That's right. So, uh, so looking forward to that. That's going to be uh, in just a few short days, like seven of them or so. That's right. And we might as well talk a little bit about our calendar because I. A week from the day this podcast episode airs, I'll be flying to Seattle for... I'll be gone for, like, nine days, I think. So we might have a little bit of a dry spell in there after this next episode until I get back. Yeah, very true. Um, but you'll have some reading time on the plane, so I think we'll be coming back with uh, with another review right after that, right? Yeah, so instead of the usual week-ish that we drop episodes, it's going to be like 10 days. You have to you just have to wait a couple extra days while I'm out drinking and cavorting with all the art, uh, authors in uh, Seattle and Portland. And if you're missing us, take a listen to one of the 190 other episodes that are available for you. That's insane. You know how close we are to 200? Get like eight or nine episodes? We are uh, six episodes away from... Oh my god, really? Wow. Yeah. This is episode 194, and we're a month away from our third year anniversary. I know. I know. That's pretty cool. 
hey, wait a minute, three years, two awards. Crap, we're, we're a year behind. We're going to have to double up on awards at some point. Well, the first year was like a, a, a warm-up. Oh, like practice. Yeah, it was a practice year. Oh, oh well, I wish you would have said that before I did. <laughs> we were trying so hard that year. I don't know why we did that. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. So there you go. All right, this one's run longer than I think it needed to. So... <laughs> Uh, until next time, we'll be back next week with Time Pimp. I'm Livia Snedden. I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. <laughs> <laughs>